Welcome back to the Cost of Caring podcast, where we talk about the mental, relational, physical, and financial costs of caregiving. Cost of Caring is presented by Givers, a savings and support platform that automates access to benefits programs and reimbursements for families who want to save money on caregiving. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Today, we're talking to Fran McInerney, who was previously a caregiver for her dad, John, who was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease. John unfortunately passed away in August of 2021. And since then, Fran has gotten involved in the advocacy arm of the Alzheimer's Association, become a coordinator for the Walk to End Alzheimer's. She's established herself as a patient health advocate. And today we're talking about her caregiving experience, the cost of caregiving, and what she's been up to since. Well, I am Fran. I am from New Jersey, and I was uh, one of the primary caregivers for my dad, John, who had early onset Alzheimer's. Um, I always say early onset Alzheimer's because he was uh, very young. He was 58 at the time that he was diagnosed. And from what his doctors told us, actually, it was probably in development, like much earlier. So very much on the younger side, um, a lot of time. Alzheimer's dementia patients are like thought of as just like older people, you know, 70, 80 plus. And here he is relatively young for someone to have this disease. Um, I took care of him for probably like very in-depth for probably about two years, a little bit by proxy for a couple years because I was in grad school at the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I cared for him through most of the pandemic, which was an experience unto itself, uh, a bit of a blessing, a bit of a struggle. Um, but uh, of course, I wouldn't change that for the world. You mentioned you were in grad school for a little bit before you started caring for your dad in a more full-time capacity. Who was um, caring for him sort of in that interim period? My mom. Okay. Um, and But also during that interim period, I guess you could say his independence was relatively okay. I mean, at that point, you know, he couldn't drive anymore, but with me not being there and then it just really being my, mostly my mom, um, she felt very comfortable like going to work, him being able to stay at home, things like that. So safety wasn't an issue at that time. Uh, of course that increases uh, as the disease progresses, uh, safety awareness and that being a major issue. <laughs> um, so really when it became the two of us, really tag teaming, it was very intense. Yeah, I believe it. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about what it was like caregiving during the pandemic and like the challenges of the pandemic? Uh, um, okay, so big challenge was working from home as someone who works, I'm a speech therapist, I work in a school. And so to switch to totally online, which is like learning a new skill onto itself. And then being home for that time was just good because then, you know, you get like a first eye view, you really get to see what's going on with my dad and, um, how all of this is impacting him. But at the same time, you're also like, oh, wow, it becomes so much more real because you're in it every day. You know, um, about, I would say, maybe six to nine months, the summer before, we'll go with the summer before. Um, my mom and I have been discussing like what was going on with my dad, where he was at. There was always a check-in no matter when I was living at home or if I was at school or anything, there was always check-ins, kind of like update, status updates. 
And we were talking about the fact that that coming winter, he probably wasn't going to be able to remain home safely if she went out to work. So what were we going to do about that? And he wasn't at the point where he was going to need like a medical care at home or like an aide at home or anything like that. He wasn't quite there. So we needed something that was kind of in between. And fortunately, we found the tender, which is an Alzheimer's uh, respite program, which was like two towns away. And we were able to send him, I think it started from like eight to one or eight to two. And it was just enough time for him to go. And everyone there had Alzheimer's. So everyone there kind of understood where everyone's at. It was very nice social community space. Their model of care was wonderful. And the bonus was that they always served lunch. So we didn't have to worry about like a meal, which is also huge. Like when you go through the planning process of the day and who needs what and at what time and things like that to have like one meal checked off is huge. So um, we started, he started going there in the summer, it carried through to that fall. And then of course, when COVID hit, like everything shut down. So that unfortunately was uh, not something that he could do anymore. So then from there, we transitioned into <laughs> uh, being at home full time and just really being there with each other all the time, which was great because it was kind of like found time. You know what I mean? Something that maybe I wouldn't have had the opportunity to spend that time with my dad. But at the same time, it was all the time, which could be incredibly overwhelming after a while. Yeah, I mean, that's like a lot of time with with any but person. You know, yes. and now you're caring for someone. And of course, that's special, but also I imagine is is overwhelming. Did you find ways to like get a break or take care of yourself? You know, what was working when you guys were just like in that, so like we all were intense. in the house <laughs> all so the time? So intense. So fortunately for a very short amount of time, I would say about three months, uh, my siblings, my two siblings were there. Um and so that was very helpful in terms of like, okay, like, let's go for a walk. Let's just take a drive in the car. You can kind of alternate. We can all trade off on like meals, meal making, things like that. Um, so that was really helpful. Uh, my sister lives in Berlin, so she did eventually have to go back. So she, she went back and then uh, my brother, he moved out. So then after that, it was uh, really just my mom and I. So having like an extra set of hands, having the support of others, uh, during that period, that like very crunch time period um, during the pandemic was incredibly helpful. And then even beyond just having the support of others in the ways that they could figure out how to be assistance of you or assistance for you uh, was, huge, was huge. Yeah, um, I know I'm throwing questions at you that we didn't talk mm. about previously, but what, That's um, okay. what kind of things were they able to do, you know, after they've like gone back to Berlin and moved out? How were they able to support from afar? What things were useful to you? Um, so I love my sister, but her like weekly check-ins, like, I mean, just doing this right now, being on like Google meets or zoom, uh, being able to just kind of be a different face and checking in and kind of updating. I think that was very exciting for my dad. Um, she sings at the dome in, uh, Berlin. So sometimes their services would be online and, uh, sometimes she just have some solos, which is great. But then, you know, be like, okay, dad, look, there's Sarah, this is her choir. This is what she's doing. And it would just be like excitement and it would just the minute 20 minutes half hour of like that type of distraction was also like okay I'm gonna run and like grab a cup of tea or something like that's huge um and it was just like brought him joy which is great and then my brother could come in uh at least well, more than once a week but like would have like this is your meal this week and he would come in and cook dinner 
which would be a break for me or a break for my mom, depending on our work schedules. And once again, that little break is huge. It's just one less thing on your mind. So that was really helpful. Yeah, I love that. That's um, awesome that they could, that they could find ways or there was like touch points that um, were nice for your dad, but also a break for, for you. Yes. Um, yeah. Your dad has since passed. Can you talk a little bit about um, what life's been like since he's been gone? Yes. Um, it has been, and I say this now because it's been about a year and a half. Had you talked to me a year before or a month, like, you know, I mean, and by the year before, I mean last, this time last year or a month after, I would probably have a very different response or may not be quite as calm as I am right now. Um, but I would say since my dad died, there's been a lot of kind of reprogramming, uh, trying to refigure out who I am now that I've had this very big experience, very life altering experience for not just myself, but of course him. Um, so trying to refigure out who I am, what I want to do, how I'm going to channel all of my feelings and emotions from that experience uh, into something. So it's a lot of refiguring that out. Like I remember, um, listen, it was, there was this like week of, oh my gosh. Okay. This is a whole separate story, but there was a week of time from when we put my dad uh, into the memory care facility. And uh, at the time that we, within a week's time, we brought him home on hospice. So it was very quick <laughs> um, that I wound up going with my boyfriend, his family down to the beach. And I just like read for three days and it was amazing. It was like, right, I like reading. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> great. Like, I, I, cause you forget about it. You're like, I can't dedicate like time to like two chapters in a book, or if I have the time, I'm exhausted. Maybe I just want to veg out on the like sofa or something. So like, you know, trying to remember the things that I liked before and kind of getting back into the group and doing them too. So a lot of, you know, getting out of that caregiver mode of like, I need to be on, I need to be doing something and I need to be figuring something out to like, okay, take a breath. Like, yes, we have things to do, but you don't have to be on edge all the time, which is huge. Yeah, my um, my mom passed. Uh, it's been eight years now, but I, I remember, sort of similar to you just said, like you know, in the year after versus now, I would have had different answers. But it was it was confusing to like maybe not confusing, but it was an interesting experience to sort of reconfigure like our family dynamics and who I was and you know how we sort of operate now because there had been this sort of focal point in the family and now everything was different. It was very. Um, like nice but weird experience to come back to things like oh I like reading you know um yes uh thank you for sharing about you know how how things have been different in the past year and a half um I know also you've gotten you know more involved in community work uh, related to Alzheimer's um, and dementia can you talk a little bit about you know what you've been doing and what's exciting to you yes so while my dad was still alive, uh, I wound up getting involved with the Walk to End Alzheimer's, specifically the Philadelphia Walk to End Alzheimer's, because even though we are from South Jersey, we are very much Philly folks and Philly fans, um, which, <laughs> which is really great. A little side story. Uh, my boyfriend is from the North Jersey area. So when it comes to uh, hockey or football, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a rivalry there. Um, but uh, so I got involved with the Philadelphia Walk to End Alzheimer's because I was like, I feel like I need to do something, channel this energy, this frustration, this 
many emotions, whatever was kind of going on, but like, what can I do right now? Because I can't do anything like super big, right? Like we still have our dad here. He's the priority at this point, but I need to do something else. And this is a really nice way to get involved. I also happened to know the person who was managing at the time. She had been my college roommate. Um, so I reached out to her. I was like, hey, how can I get involved? What can I do? Like, I don't just want to join a team. I'll create a team. We can all walk together, but like maybe just getting involved a little bit more. Um, and so I wound up on the planning committee and I've been doing that for the past, I guess going into this, this will be the fourth year because walk season ends in like November. So we're going into the fourth year. Um, and then after my dad died, I remember like really sitting down and having a conversation with my mom being like, this is nuts. Like what, this is ridiculous. Like how, how are we going to change this? Like, this is what happened to our dad. And there's so many other people who know somebody else. Like how, how are we changing? Like, what are we going to do? So, um, there is like a legislative branch of the Alzheimer's Association. I'll just go with that. And it is the Alzheimer's impact movement. So once again, I reached back out to Holly. I was like, who do you know? And she said, here, I'll, I'll send you in this direction. And I wound up meeting some people at the walk who then I got like, da, 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 da. sorry. <laughs> so there's a, there's a, it's a long story. And let me, what are all the steps? Um, who wound up helping me meet up with the right people to get involved with Alzheimer's impact movement. Um, yeah, so, that, I mean, I can I can keep going with it, but I just yeah, you know, no, I mean, we'd love to, we'd love to hear more. That's so serendipitous um, that your college roommate uh, was was involved there, and you know, has been able to like connect you with all these things because um, there's no way you would have known in college that this would be a connection no. that would be useful <laughs> or yeah, you no. know, uh, meaningful. No. Yeah, um, um, yeah. I mean, we'd love to hear more about. Uh, yeah just sort of how you've gotten involved in all of these and and if you're comfortable like the work that you're that the organizations are doing um, and ways other people can get involved sure uh so specifically uh i'm from district district three it's very like what was that not hunger games yeah was it the hunger games i'm from district three in new jersey um no but i work uh with andy congressman andy kim's, kim's office and um we just check in with him, let him know what kind of legislation is coming through, uh, whether it be for caregiver support, patient support, uh, re funding for research, which is obviously so crucial as this is just like a terminal disease. Um, and, you know, we have a couple of meetings with them once a year to check in, let them know things that are coming down the pipeline or request that maybe they take a look at this, maybe sign on to it, you know. Um, <laughs> Or uh, this coming March, we'll all go down to DC and everyone from all of the states kinds to go down. It's called the Hill Day. And everyone goes and meets with their members of Congress um, or their state senators and just has a little chat and a check in and like a refresher of like, hi, we're still here. Alzheimer's is still a thing. Um, here's the legislation that we can we can sign off on to make the world a little bit of a better place, you know? Yeah, I love that. What a um... I love that you and your mom were like, we need to get involved. We need to do something. And now this is like a very tangible output of that. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the legislation or research that is coming down the pipeline that, you know, you might want to talk about on Hill Day or is just sort of on your radar in general? Yes. So one of my favorite pieces of legislation this past year was the ENACT Act. And it is all about equity and neuroscience research and the need to go into every community 
and have all members participate in research. So we were lucky living near Philadelphia, like just across the bridge, there's various hospitals, universities, teaching facilities, research centers, things like that. So my dad could very easily participate in research, which he did while um, he was still alive. And even afterwards, because we donated his brain. <laughs> so keep it going. Uh, but that's not always possible for people. Uh, we're very lucky, once again, being so close in proximity, my mom being a nurse, having flexibility with her job to take him back and forth, having a car, all of these things. So um, this piece of legislation was really looking at how can we reach communities that aren't necessarily being able, you know, have the access to participate which is great because you know one medication or one treatment uh, might not work for everybody. And we really do, of course, want this to work for everybody because this is just like a horrible thing. Um, I mean, and the other thing that is very exciting is all the lakenumab research that's coming out uh, and the fact that the FDA recently approved it. Um, this is for individuals who are in the early stages of Alzheimer's and this drug kind of slows down the progression of the disease. So. While it's not a cure, it is definitely, you know, just giving someone a little bit more time. Uh, I believe there's a couple other things coming down the pipeline, but uh, liberty to say right now. Um, but there's no, there really is. There's like other things coming down the pipeline. And this is a really great first step in a direction towards a more effective treatment or cure, no matter what state you're in, state you're in, in terms of the disease. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Like, that's yeah, it is very exciting. Um, you can tell that, you know, your eyes light up. It, that it's meaningful to a lot of people and families, um, uh, yeah, especially this medication. Yeah. Because, right, like, you know, you, you get a diagnosis and you're just like, well, best of luck. You know what I mean? There, yeah. there are some thing, there are some drugs out there that will slow things down a little bit, but they're not stopping anything. So mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, here's, it's kind of, it's, you're just getting a death sentence, basically a long-term progressive death sentence. And it's awful. Like there's just no hope. And so to have, uh, you know, funding go towards research and then to see some, like something fruitful come from it is, is really great for, for anyone who has this disease or just like, you know, looking towards the future. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like even this medication in and of itself is very exciting and hopeful for people and, a reminder that like the funding that's going towards this research isn't for nothing. Like there is, you know, there's potential for more here, which is exciting. Right. I think I don't obviously, and honestly, I don't have this, the facts and stats in front of me, but I think, uh, is it by 2050 that Alzheimer's is it Alzheimer's specifically or dementia in general could like bankrupt Medicare just with the aging population. So <laughs> we kind of need <laughs> something yeah, that's to an alarming statistic. Yeah, it it is. And like, ugh, like that's actually going to be like me at that point. And like, oh, my God, you know, I don't have any children. But what if I do? Like, what is that falling? Like, what's falling to them? You know, like, like let's look for the unfortunately not so distant future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a scary statistic. I actually don't know that I knew that. And uh, I'm yeah. glad that you shared it. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to really, sorry, real, real quick on that. I was talking to my uncle. He teaches a, a nursing class and he was like, Hey, do you have any like videos on, you know, Alzheimer's that you think I could kind of incorporate into my lesson just because PowerPoints are awesome, but so is video, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and so I was bringing up a, a couple of things and I found this one video and I realized it's from like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And 
unfortunately, like nothing has really changed there except for the number of people impacted. I think it was like 5 million in this video. And now it's up to 6 million, you know, 10, like, oh my gosh, these numbers just keep, keep climbing. And I was like, this is like a 10 year difference. Oh my gosh, an extra million people. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not great. Yeah, those compounding numbers. Um yeah, I mean thanks for sharing about what you're excited about um and what you know is coming. Is there anything else I guess um I'd love to talk about, you know, the financial side of caregiving that's sort of our like aim in this podcast. Um yes. it's just for like uncover, you know, these hidden costs of caregiving, but before we jump into that, I just want to um you know, make sure that we've like covered the work that you're doing and also if people want to get involved in you know the walk or in the alzheimer's association like any of these things you know where where can they start start well one reach out to me because you know if you live in new jersey i might know a guy um <laughs> no uh but start with the just the alzheimer's association uh in general and you'll be able to google walk or google, look up walks near you um find out who to reach out to in terms of the Alzheimer's impact movement. I mean, and then just you as an individual can always just reach out to your congressperson uh, or, you know, whoever, and they can kind of guide you if you need like financial assistance, medical assistance, things like that. And chances are, you know, the woman who I am in contact with in this office, uh, if you reached out to somebody there, like they've probably heard of us at some point because it's a very large and loud group of people. <laughs> That's good. We need that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I would love to talk about uh, sort of your experience when you were caregiving um, many things, but specifically about, you know, finances. Um, and if you're comfortable, I'd love for you to share a little bit about how caregiving um, and the cost of caregiving impacted your thoughts around like spending and saving um, and just future thinking. Okay. That's a, that's like a, it's a small, it's question. A small question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's think, how do we want to start? So I would say the first thing, the first piece of advice that we were given when my dad was given this, told this diagnosis, uh, was about the five year look back. Are you familiar with this at all? Yes. yes. Okay. And if people want more, we've got a blog post about it. Okay, great. Um, honestly, that was like the biggest thing. They were like, get him off of anything that could potentially be an asset. Um, cause when you go to look for long-term care, uh, they're going to be looking back at anything and everything financially that could be related to you. Um, so that was probably the best piece of advice that was given to us. Unfortunately with this disease, like, you know, you could have 10 okay years and then you have to go, you know, receive long-term care. You could have three years and then maybe you suddenly need long-term care. And that three years doesn't necessarily fall into that like five year look back period. So do that immediately. <laughs> get get off the assets. Yeah. Anything else? Um, like when you first started caregiving, you got this piece of advice. Was there anything else that really influenced um, like how you got care for your dad or how you thought about spending money? Yes. Okay. Um, so caring for him during the pandemic, financially, we were okay. And I say this in that I was able to work from home. And so where my dad was at in terms of the disease meant that he still did, he needed someone to be with him, but he didn't need intensive medical care during the day. Um, 
so we didn't need to hire anyone else I could stay home with him. And then my mom being a nurse, she was able to work her schedule so that she would also be home specific days during the week. The weekend was kind of like other people could come over and help out, you know, so that wasn't, you know, the priority, but we were really lucky in that we were able to delay some of the bigger financial costs. Um, in terms of saving and spending, I think, can you, can you really, because it's hard because what I think you don't realize until afterwards, until you're really in it, is that there are all of these very little costs along the way that add up, that add up over time, right? So you might be getting new kinds of clothes. You might be switching uh, from regular pants to some type of adaptive clothing, like adaptive pant or shirt. And those are not $5, you know, at Target. <laughs> They're going to be a little bit more expensive because of the type of clothing that it is. Um, if you need certain types of hygiene products, toileting products, those suddenly are an added cost. And I don't, I don't know, we didn't know how to save on it. Um, but the best, I mean, the best thing that happened to us was that we had family members who said, okay, we will be at some, at one point, we will be buying this for you, the supplies for this each month. We will be providing this for you for this each month. So some of the costs were kind of split up, but we never asked people. That was the kindness of others coming and offering to help us. Um, so saving, man, like I don't, saving was this, we got lucky with being able to, you know, work through and i'm not saying that didn't take a toll on us mentally or physically or emotionally um but financially we were able to save during the pandemic because we weren't really going anywhere i was able to work from home my mom was able to manipulate her schedule so we we did kind of get lucky there actually yeah um, i don't think you have to grimace i mean everyone's um uh situation is, is so different you know and and ways that you were blessed other people are not and ways that other people are blessed you are not like it's um i think it's just like the the guilt of knowing you know how intense caregiving can be and to feel fortunate because you know that that's not the case for others and just how like oh my gosh how are you doing this how are you handling this and just wanting honestly like it almost be like i wish i could help you because i know that it can be so intense like oh yes yeah yeah i mean it is intense um as a as a quick plug for giver something that we're working on and it's young right now but we're working on a marketplace um for people to to save on the cost of caregiving products and services um and put them all in one place products that are vetted and then we're negotiating like the best possible discounts that we can get for people um Again, it's really young right now, but we hope that that can be a place that people can come and, you know, and save on some of these caregiving expenses. Um, like the little things like new clothes or, you know, different toiletries, like, you know, the stuff that adds up over time. Um, yeah. You mentioned that people were generous and, you know, chipped in and brought things over and bought these things for you and that you guys didn't ask for this help. I guess looking back, is that something that, uh, like how, how would you have done that differently? Would you, would you have asked for that help or um, is there other things you would have asked for? Mm. This is sort of a vague question. I'm just curious about what that experience is like. I don't know. I think once you get into the mentality of like, I'm just being this like strong person that I can, I can, I'm going to figure it out and do it. And 
no one else is going to have this burden on them, I don't know that we would have asked. Or if anything, it wouldn't have been for physical things. It would have been like, you know, hi, we need help. You know, can you come over and stay? Or, um, yeah, how could you come over and maybe give us a little bit of time to go to the food store or something? Like, I don't think we would ever send someone to go to the food store. And be like, I mean, unless, but it would, yeah, it probably would have come from somebody else. Like, how can I help you? And then be like, mm -hmm. okay, here is the list of stuff. But also here's my credit card because I'm not going to like force you to buy us groceries, even though, uh, thank you for the, taking the time. So it's one less thing that I have to do. Like, I'm not going to, ugh, yeah. No, I don't yeah. think we would have asked for it. No. Um, are there any ways that people offered help that was like easier for you to accept that help? Like questions they asked or ways they showed up for you? Um, yes. Okay. So my grandma was still alive at the time. And so it was very easy for when she like, Oh, you know, let John come over and stay for like a day or two to be like, yes, absolutely. Um, because you know, this is your son and we want the two of you to have time together. So anytime that she would offer for him to go and stay, even if it was just overnight, one, it was good for them for that time. But then also for us, it was just like, cool. I don't have to worry about any, like getting up at a certain time, making sure uh, like I'm up getting breakfast or figuring out dinner or whatever. So it kind of would work out both ways. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I found sort of the same when someone says, you know, let me know how I can help. That's like, well, I don't know. I can think of a million ways. I'm not going to ask you, but if someone's like, I'm bringing over dinner and maybe that's yes. invasive, but, uh, just doing, um, always felt more useful, right. um, than like putting the work back on me. Yeah. I remember when, cause then at some point, like them coming over to help, like doesn't help. So yeah, it does, you know, you want the other person to take the initiative, even though I think they don't want to step on your toes and then take right. the initiative. Um, so for anyone out there who wants to help a caregiver, I will tell you, <laughs> find a way to give them back some time or to just make their day easier. Meals. Great. Have someone come over and clean their house. Awesome. <laughs> find, you know, offer to come and take your loved one for a drive. Of course, if they're not comfortable, you know, going in the car, that's a whole other thing, but find a way to give them back just like a little bit of time so they can breathe and maybe reorganize their thoughts. Yeah, I love that. I love that. PSA to people that might yes. want to help a caregiver. Yes. Um, you know, you mentioned you and your mom were home during the pandemic, which, you know, may have been a blessing or a curse, but it did help you like delay some other sort of major financial decisions. Um, I, I hope I didn't mishear that, but can you talk a little bit about what some of those more major financial decisions were as the disease progressed? Yeah, so that would be whether or not to have, well, to go from having someone come in part-time uh, for care for my dad to coming in full-time and possibly having like round-the-clock nursing care um, in whatever capacity that would have been at the time uh, or placement into a memory care facility. Um, those were two very big decisions that we were able to put off for a little bit. Uh, I did eventually have to go back in to work. Uh, so we wound up my mom was still able to kind of manipulate her schedule uh, or I shouldn't say manipulate but <laughs> work her schedule out so that she you know would have these very designated days home and we were able to find 
um, our neighbor up the street, our neighbors up the street, their son wanted to go into nursing school or he was in the process of going to nursing school, something like that. And he actually came down and then would stay with my dad during the day. Um, once again, like he didn't need that intensive medical care yet, but he did need his meals prepared. Um, he did need to make sure that, you know, he wasn't going to walk out of the door, out, out the front door, possibly in the winter without a coat on or anything. Um, or even walk out anytime and just get lost, you know, make sure he's drinking throughout the day to the best you can to, you know, encourage him to do so. Uh, or even just having someone there to talk to or listen to music to or watch something on TV. Like you need that kind of companionship, companion care type of bit. So uh, we had that for a little while. And then what I heard happens, <laughs> and it did happen, was that there was just this like snap moment where you're like, oh, this, we can't do this anymore. And it's, this is not, uh, you know, too much. And it, it really did kind of happen like that. And then we had to suddenly make the decision between 24 hour care or, you know, a living facility. And we chose to go with living facility. How did you um, make that decision? I, I can't imagine uh, it was an easy one. Um, well, the steps in the house, I told my mom, I was like, I can't find them at the bottom of the steps. It's going to fall down. And I think even we would have never been feeling okay. You know, even if there was someone there 24 hours a day, like that, nope, I couldn't do that. I <laughs> know I couldn't do that. And then my mom was like, I don't know if I could sleep knowing that there's just someone awake in my house uh, 24 seven. So uh, it made more sense to have the, to move into the, the living facility. Yeah, that um, makes a ton of sense. Uh... If you remember and if you feel comfortable, can you talk a little bit about the cost of of that facility and and um, you and your mom are both still working, so maybe you paid out of pocket, but just like how you how you managed the cost of a live-in facility? So um, we okay. So my dad had a had, you know retirement account, so that was what was being pulled for to cover the you know initial costs, and that was going what was going to be used for however long it could be used while he was living there. Um, unfortunately, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, he moved in on a Wednesday and he was coming home the following Thursday on hospice. So we did not have a long-term experience with long-term care. <laughs> um, so I really, I can't speak too much to the cost for it and managing that or navigating it. Um, I will say my mom and I had a couple discussions I mean, some some things were pulled out of his retirement account ahead of time for other other costs, um, but just given the state of the economy right now, versus a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, it's very different. She was like, I, you know, the way the stock market is, because my dad had a four hundred one k, then versus now, and the losses that have have you know taken. She's like, I don't know actually what would have happened long-term if we had to pull from that account, given the state of the economy at that, right now at this time. So we also got a little bit lucky there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good to, to count your blessings. Um, <laughs> I wish I was uh, given better advice. I'm just, no, I think this is useful. Like, again, I think, you know, every uh, person's caregiving experience is so different, but I also think there's like a lot of relatability, you know, across the board. I think it's useful. I don't think it has to be advice. I think it's just helpful for people to hear, you know, how different people are, are managing this experience. Um, 
you mentioned you guys were pulling from your dad's retirement account or accounts, um, which of course is really lucky. I'm curious about just sort of like your systems for managing money between you and your mom. Did you, you know, use an Excel spreadsheet or like, how were, how are you managing this? Like on a logistical standpoint? Oh, it was very old school. It was very pen and paper and comparing notes. I'll just, like me and Excel, we're not friends. And my mom and Excel have never met. I'm not, I don't, I don't think. Uh, So (laughs) uh, very pen and paper and very checking in with one another. Like, we're going to balance the checkbook type of thing. I think it was just kind of like, well, this is just always what happened. And I'm not going to like figure out a new system right now, because if the system isn't broken, I'm not trying to fix it because I've got other things on my mind. Um, If there was something that was like specifically for someone in a long-term care situation that made it easier for people to track their finances and expenses, that would be fantastic. I would totally endorse that. Uh, but I was not going to create that system. There was like um, one of those ottomans that is actually like it contains the files. We had one of those and, you know, you know where all of the files were and all of the paper goes like, I'm not joking. It was very, very paper heavy. Um, that's good. I mean, if it works, it works. It's, that's that's um, what it was. That's our hope at Givers. Like that's what we're on a mission to do is build financial tools that are, you know, useful and that caregivers actually, you know, want and love to use um and make it easier like give people back time and energy um so that you're not spending your time digging through papers or like managing a million accounts or whatever that's our that's what we're on a mission to do here which Um, yeah no that's that's really good because i mean you look on the younger side i'm gonna go with that you don't you don't look at mom's age (laughs) um no but i think uh finding like better tools just given how technology is and people our age and younger just being much more tech savvy than like paper and pencil savvy like having an app would be amazing uh because that's just how we function at this point right i mean i do love my you know write down planner of course right it's january everyone buys a new planner um but really like right you know my phone is where everything is and what i'm going to check in on Um, So to have that available, especially as people our age are now taking on caregiving roles more and more for their parents, uh, they're going to look for things that like an app or something that's going to help them out. Totally. And uh, yeah, right. There's this millennial section of people's millennial generation is, is becoming the bulk of caregivers at this point. And so, um, I think we will see a shift, hopefully, to products like Givers uh, away from pen and paper. Um, but again, whatever system works. Right. Oh, works. my gosh. Right. <laughs> you have a system like, uh, I do not want to throw a run in that. No, no, no. Um, if you could go, like, back to the beginning, you know, people end up in caregiving roles unexpectedly. Um, what What would you have told your previous self or what do you wish you knew at the beginning of your caregiving journey um i mean i guess at the end of the day is that you can do it uh you can you can you can do it um it's going to be hard and you are going to cry and get very frustrated and upset but like you really can do it And as corny as it sounds, at the end of the day, it is going to make you a different person. Um, I mean, I can't speak to anyone else. I don't want to say it made me a stronger person, but it did make me a different person. I think it has put me on a different uh, trajectory 
than what I would have thought, you know, 10 years ago, for sure. Uh, I did not think I would ever be in this space. Like that was definitely not on, in the plans, but here I am. And hopefully this experience that I had with my dad um, will be of benefit to someone else. You know, maybe it'll just make their experience a little bit easier or maybe, you know, talking to Congressman Kim will influence legislation to make caregiving easier, make uh, various drugs or treatments more accessible to people or at a lower cost, or I don't know what at this point, but you know, it will just make you a different person in a good way. Hopefully in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's like, yeah, I think all of life is learning. And and so if you can take, I hope, you know, I hope it made you different and in a good way. Um, yes. Well, it's, it just learn. I mean, yeah, right. As you learn and hopefully in a good way, because right, this is like an all encompassing thing, as I said, kind of before with like, even just the little costs that add up, everything kind of mm -hmm. adds up. And so it really does take a, a mental and physical toll and for others, a real financial toll on them. Um, so a lot of people wind up in the middle, the middle of the group, right? Like, um, sure. yep. I remember taking a course, and we were talking about care and the woman there, she was talking about, oh, yeah, like the people, like, you know, with the buco bucks, their facilities, oh, my God, beautiful amazing. The chefs make their favorite meals from their entire life. It's wonderful. And then you go on like the total opposite end of the spectrum. And I've seen facilities like this and it is awful. And it's, you know, just people are tossed there because they don't have the financial access. They don't have the resources and it's terrible. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's also a, um, like an education piece that's missing also about like what kind of financial support is available to people or you know programs reimbursements that that might help them there not only is it like access it's like access to education which i think is um a piece that's also missing is like there are programs that can hopefully be helpful to people um but discovering them um or qualifying for them you know can be hard and not knowing that they exist i would say qualification is absolutely hard um I mean, yeah, as you said, there are definitely, there's definitely state-run programs. You'd have to check with your individual state, uh, but the financial limit is often relatively low. So, you know, a lot of people don't qualify. My dad did not qualify for any of these things. Actually, in the, we talk about um, advocacy last fall, there was a panel, it was Congressman Kim, Congressman, uh, is it Coleman Watson? And I forget who the other man was. And they were talking about, you know, finances for the state of New Jersey and things like that. And one of the questions that was asked was like, when you fall into this middle income group, right, you know, where is your help? And it wasn't really ever answered because it's just not there. So, oh, the financials. But right, the education of what is available and quite frankly, what is not and having that information, mm -hmm. being able to make smart decisions with that. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of things you've learned in the past, uh, you know, Ooh. years. Yes. Um, I think this question might be a little bit redundant because you just shared, um, oh, you know, no. what you would have said to yourself, um, a couple years ago, but we like to ask everyone to close out these conversations. You know, what's your number one tip for other caregivers, um, financial or otherwise? Ooh. Number one tip. I don't know. I think I need like five. Uh, we can do, we can do five. No, 
we're not going to come up with five. My number one tip would be, and I know we've talked about this, but look for the people who can help you. And um, there's people that can help you in different ways. You know, an obvious way someone could help you is like bringing over dinner, as you mentioned, right? Like that's huge. It's wonderful. And that's where people, you know, a lot of people find themselves. But then you might have a friend like how or, you know, an aunt, as myself, you know, who through their job has learned about the five year look back, you know, or um, maybe something else financially related that they'd be able to help you out with. Or maybe you know someone who is actually really good at fixing toilets or something, you know, and they'll be able to help you out there and maybe knock a few dollars off when you need something fixed. And all of it kind of adds up and it's helpful in different ways, you know? So look, find, like, you know, accept help, but then also look for the people who might be able to help you because it could be unexpected. Yeah, I love that. Um, it reminds me of that Mr. Rogers quote that says, look for the helpers. Uh, I don't know no. what the whole quote is. It's about like the uh, world's a disaster, but look for the helpers. Yeah, um, yeah but it's true. And, and totally, you yeah. need the support around you. And I, do, I know what you're talking about. I was like, I don't like Mr. Rogers, but it's just so true. Yeah, I think it's a good quote. I love it. Yeah. Um, if people would like to find you online and follow along with, you know, the community work that you're doing, um, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me on the good old social media, uh, um, primarily Instagram and Facebook. I, my millennial self can't, can't quite grasp TikTok yet. I try, I try so hard. Um, but you can find me at Fran, the millennial caregiver all one word awesome. we <laughs> we will we'll be sure to include your links um you know wherever oh, on all the so different much. platforms so that people can find you there um friend i really appreciate your time and like willingness to share so much about what you're working on now um but also you your dad's story and your caregiving journey it's um meaningful and i think helpful to a lot of people so thank you for joining us well thank you for having me and i do hope this helps somebody that's it from this episode of the Cost of Caring podcast presented by Givers. See you next time.